Hello, Ecclesia. It's Pastor Sean. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Quarantine Made Sacred. I don't know how long you and your family have been under a safer at home order, but our family is on something like day 55. And guess what? We're still we're still here. We still laugh and cry and fuss and fight and love one another. We are seeing beauty in our relationships and finding more joy in these days than we are finding hurt or frustration. And for that, I count a blessing. I realize that for some of us this week, out of all the weeks we've been safer at home, this week may be a touch more bitter. This upcoming Sunday, at least if you're listening to this in real time, this upcoming Sunday is Mother's Day. You may be used to seeing and being with your mom on Mother's Day. Maybe you're used to brunch or lunch with mom. Maybe your mom passed and Mother's Day is filled with missing and memory. Mother's Day is not actually on the liturgical calendar. It's not a liturgical holiday. It's not a church holiday. The Christians throughout the centuries didn't make space for Mother's Day in the rhythm of their life together. But we all know there's something special about mothering. One of the things I like most in Scripture are all of the mothering images of God. My favorite might be in Hosea 13, where God is described kind of like a mother bear. Hosea says, like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. A wild animal will tear them apart. Heck yeah, that's mothering. My, my mother was like that. My wife, Rochelle, is like that about her daughters when they are under threat. And it's not like that's just biology. One of my best friends is adopted. His mom is a mother bear too. What I love about scripture is that God is a force of mothering. God creates and brings life and gives us the ability to do the same in so many ways. For Mother's Day to be anything more than a hallmark holiday, like all good things, it must drive us back to the care, comfort, and rescue of God. So on this week's episode, we're going to come to God through the voices of women. Mine will be the only male voice you hear this week. Trust me you will be moved beyond what you could have imagined possible. But before we get there, here are a few invitations I'd like to remind you of. Each Sunday, Ecclesia, at 9 o'clock and 11, we gather online for corporate worship. Just log on to ecclesiahouston.org online or our Facebook page, and you will find a live stream there and people to connect with and to talk to. Also, we offer sessions for 15 or 30 minutes of pastoral care with one of our pastors on staff every week. You can go to our website and find that there. We also have a number of online meetups throughout the week with topics, topics ranging from 
just about anything you can imagine. You can find a group of people who are interested in that. And if there's not one, let us know and we can make some space and maybe maybe you can lead it. Each Wednesday night at 8 p.m., we also host a Vespers gathering via Zoom. You can sign up for that on our website. More and more people tell me every week how meaningful and deep Vespers is. You want to be a part of that. And next Sunday, not Mother's Day, the Sunday after May 17th, we'll host a few of our new discipleship gatherings. And these will happen at 11 a.m. on Sunday, sandwiched right between our 9 and our 11 worship times. And what we're going to do in those sessions is it's just an opportunity to go deeper in the text of the Bible. They'll last four weeks. One of our community pastors, Jim Doremus, will be leading a study of the book of Philippians. And right now, I'll teach another one for four weeks on how to read the Bible. Right now, I'm calling it the Bible for beginners. But if you ever was curious about what does what does all of it mean, different genres of the Bible, and how do I understand what God is doing through this story? That's the kind of place you want to be. I think it sounds great. And I'm really looking forward to all of it. But now it's time for the episode. This week, you'll hear a song from Hannah Rodriguez and Shannon Matthews, two of our staff members, followed by a reflection from Sarah Seabrook. And after that, you'll be blessed with a song from Sarah Fusilay and Joy Hannah, and then a reflection from Rochelle Palmer on Mothering, followed by another song from Sarah and Joy. I think you'll be blessed. May the Lord bless you and keep you always, Ecclesia. Keep 
rock of ages when it want to rest my desperate need for such a savior i confess and pull these idols out from my heart embrace rock of ages i need your grace Rock of ages, broken scorn for me. Who am I that you would die to make me free? To give me glory, you took the death and the pain. Rock of ages, my offering. recently quoted Charles Dickens, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And this has rung so true for me as I consider how I am mothering in this never-precedented season. My friend Jordan recently likened being a mother during COVID-19 to being a brand new mother. We all feel like we should know what we're doing, but in actuality, we all have no clue and are scared to death that we are going to mess our kids up unintentionally. How is it possible that within one week, one day, one hour even, that I experience myself to be the best of mums and the worst of mums? In one afternoon, I have been my most creative self as well as my most destructive self. I find homeschooling two second graders and a five-year-old deeply delightful one minute and crushingly frustrating the next. I revel in the seeming endlessness and open spaces of this season and just as eagerly find myself desperate to know exactly how many more days until we can do community in the up-close and personal ways 
that we have experienced before. And I know I'm not alone in this. We are all in this storm together, albeit trying to stay afloat in very different sea vessels. There are those mothers who seem to be cruising along in a luxury liner. They appear to have a lot of support, ample finances to stay afloat if work is slow for a bit, and with enough space on the ship for their kids to create their own playground substitute. And splashing about right next to her ship might be a hand-sewn raft that a single mum stitched together with a baby on one hip and a toddler at her feet. This mum might be hoping to be given a lifeline from anyone who remembers that she has no help and has had her hours at work cut in half. Her greatest concern might be that if her raft capsizes in the next wave, whether anyone will be looking outward for long enough to see her calling for help. And even if they did, can anyone actually get close enough to extend a hand to pull her and her children up out of the water. We are all in the storm together, but some days we are riding the waves like expert surfers, and other days we are being dunked by a wave we never even saw coming. I got a message from an amazing mom just a few weeks ago who told me that she tripped and fell while out for a jog and landed up sitting in the middle of the trail, ugly crying, as she put it for a good 10 minutes. She wasn't injured and all her family were well, but in that moment, although for all intents and purposes, everything was going along swimmingly, she unsuspectedly got dunked by a whopper of a wave. I don't know about your experience, but I certainly have had a couple of solid ugly cries too over the past few weeks. And for the most part, I didn't even see them coming. A few years ago, I did a training on helping people adjust to life in a new cultural environment. And one of the concepts we often see come into play with cross-cultural moves is that of death by a thousand paper cuts. This idea that there might not be one devastatingly overwhelming change that knocks me off my feet but instead so many little annoyances, little changes in routines or systems or comfort levels that all of a sudden I find myself in a 10 minutes long ugly cry in the middle of the running track or an outrageously uncharacteristic outburst at the expense of our overwhelmed and socialized preschooler. Similarly, I believe that we can also usher in life and find this seizing incredibly meaningful, not by one loud heroic act of mastering trigonometry with our five-year-old, but by a thousand gentle nudges of encouragement and seemingly unimpressive moments of connection over a puzzle or some laundry folding. So what are some ways we can try to weather the storm together, yet apart? Are there some tools that might help us as mothers stay even keeled while we ride these waves? Is it even a possibility to thrive in this season? As I experiment a bit and talk with other mums about what is working for them, 
I'd like to share the following seven practices that seem to be most anchoring. Firstly, have a daily plan, a detailed agenda that carves out very specific times for schoolwork, break times, physical exercise, free play time, maybe some craft time, and make that plan as detailed as possible. Having the books or websites or craft tools already laid out will go a long way towards helping us be on our front foot all day long and possibly even enjoying some of the fruit of our labor. At the end of each week, look back and see what's worked and what didn't. Keep the gold and get rid of the junk. Just because something worked for another mother doesn't mean it has to work for your family. This can really be tailored to your family's needs and interests and should only be influenced by what others are doing in as much as their ideas might help you. Secondly, a very important part of the plan is to know when I will have my end of day respite, whether that be my husband closing the door on his office work and taking the girls out for a bike ride, or having a set time when the children are set free to do some creative play while I have a glass of wine and debrief the day over the phone with a friend or I put my feet up and watch my favorite TV show, or go for a 30-minute walk around the neighborhood. Whatever it is, I need to know that moment is on the horizon, and when the clock strikes that minute, I can hang up my teaching hat and enjoy a gear change for the rest of the day. Thirdly, and this I only actually figured out on week six of homeschooling, It's worth taking the time to assess expectations and make sure they are realistic. One of my ugly cries was after an online work staff meeting where I learned all about the imaginative ways that so many of the staff team are working and ministering in this season. While I'm barely managing to get our three children through all the school assigned activities, and having changed out of their pajamas before 5 p.m. every day. Realistically, I cannot expect to homeschool three children and create a new online ministry at the same time. If you typically work five hours a day, realistically, you can probably only expect to work one to two hours a day now. Otherwise, we find ourselves getting resentful and easily angered with ourselves and our children because we are not operating at the same productivity rate as we were before COVID-19. When the expectations are adjusted, it makes the time with our children so much more carefree and even recklessly enjoyable. Fourthly, talk more. If you have older children, use this time to ask them about how they are experiencing this season. They might have some new perspectives on friends or classes or teachers now that they are at a distance, which might be especially helpful to talk to them about. For those of us with younger children, so much is taught in regular day-to-day mundane activities. Naming the vegetables being prepared for dinner, getting the little ones to help fold laundry or make beds, watching the construction of a building just across the road and talking about what the different machines are doing. These are amazing lessons for your child. 
we don't have to replicate the Pinterest classroom and introduction to Latin lessons we see other mothers online attempting. This is also an incredible opportunity to weave some intentional conversations about faith into our days. Maybe read through a book of the Bible together or work through some of the amazing online resources that the children's ministry have put together to help us point our children to Jesus. Fifthly, as a family, take this opportunity to establish new routines. It has been proven that if we repeat a habit over a few months, it becomes part of our lifestyle. This is the perfect season to take stock of what habits we want to get rid of and what new routines we would like to establish. Whether that be eating meals together as a family, exercising three times a week, talking to extended family once a week or a counsellor, or maybe it's making home-cooked meals more regularly, or even consistently getting eight hours of sleep a night. It's a wonderful opportunity to get intentional about our routines and rhythms in a season when our foot has eased off the gas a bit and we can reassess our priorities. This next practice is probably the most anchoring of them all. It's the determination to set aside time for self-care and quiet. I am by no stretch of the imagination an early riser. In fact, my dream world, I would only wake up at 9am every day. But I am finding that if I get up even 30 minutes before my children and take some time to drink a cup of tea, spend some time before God in scripture reading and prayer, and then getting myself dressed and suited up for the day ahead, then I am much more likely to have grace and patience to share with my children. Waking up when they do definitely makes me feel like I'm starting the day on the back foot and it takes me a good while to settle into the day and I find my selfishness and impatience are very near the surface. Author John Mark Comer in his book The Ruthless Elimination of Harry puts it like this. My friends have a saying, win the day. They mean at the beginning of each day, Put your phone on the other side of your house and don't look at it until you've spent some time in devotion to God. If we want to win the day with our children, this time with God set apart is definitely a great head start. The last thing I want to share with you today is that I believe no matter what boat we are in as a mother during this storm, we have a very unique invitation to be the ones who remember. In Isaiah, God asks whether it's possible for a mother to forget her nursing child. And in Luke 2, we read that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Whether we are single, married, working or out of work, as mothers, I wonder what it might look like for us to be the ones who remember in this season to remember and remind our families of God's faithfulness in the past, to keep records of what this season is doing in you, in your family, in your community, in our world, so that future generations don't ever forget. 
to remember what hustle and hurry filled our lives pre-COVID and invite conversations on how to avoid returning to that same anxiety-inducing pace. To take some time to revisit old photo albums or family movies or page through some journals or scrapbooks that will help us to tell the stories of those things that might have been almost forgotten and lost to this next generation. To remember and reconnect with estranged family members or friends that we've been waiting for the right opportunity to reach out to. To name what we miss and take a moment to write notes of appreciation to that teacher or friend or coach or family member who we had begun to take for granted. And in our remembering, we begin to open up space in our homes and possibly even in our communities for hope. If no one has said this to you yet, this season, this week, this day, this very hour, well done for mothering courageously and faithfully in such a time as this. Your labor is not in vain Though the ground underneath you is cursed and it's stained Your planting and reaping are never the same Your labor is not in vain Your labor is not unknown Though the rocks they cry out And the sea it may groan The place of your toil may not seem like a home But your labor is not unknown For I am with you I am with you, for I am with you, I am with you, for I have called you, called you by name. The 
to build Well finally with laughter and joy be filled A serpent that hurts and destroys shall be killed And all that is broken be healed For I am with you I am with you, for I am with you, I am with you, for I have called you, called you by name. Your by name Your labor is not in vain 17 years ago I was pregnant with our oldest child and thrilled at my status as mom-to-be One Saturday morning my mentor and friend Carol filled her house with women of all ages from our church and filled her table with tasty brunch foods And we gathered and talked and laughed and passed around gifts and oohed and awed at the tiny, dainty little girl items that would soon fill my house. The women there surrounded me in a circle of blessing, laying hands on me, praying for all that was to come and for the new life we were preparing to welcome into the world. In this circle, I received counsel. I was the beneficiary of wisdom gained from hundreds of years of collective motherhood represented in the room. A word offered to me during this time that has stayed with me is this. Motherhood is living in the bittersweet. It is a constant grieving of one stage while being energized by the anticipation of what comes next. These words have proven true for me. I could not wait to meet both of our children, to see what they looked like, to see whom they looked like. I wondered about the color of their skin and the curliness of their hair, but for me to meet them meant that they would leave my body. I would no longer be pregnant. And for some women, that's a really good thing, but I liked being pregnant. My body thrived during pregnancy. Hormones that were out of balance before my pregnancy seemed to correct themselves over those 40 weeks. I remember the thrill of waiting and watching for little Malia to take her first steps, only realizing later that her walking meant I carried her in my arms a little bit less. I was thrilled for Malia and Catherine to go to preschool two days a week, in part because I needed some space, but also because they were ready for more activity and more people. Seeing them meet more of the world and embrace its beauty was stimulating for all of us, but it also meant that Miss Teddy teacher in the three-year-old class, was increasingly important in our home. My parenting was suddenly met with, but Miss Teddy says, or, well, Miss Teddy does it like this. It seemed my girls had space in their heads and hearts for other people. This has been motherhood for me. Excitement over beginning kindergarten, yet knowing we would never have the same kind of time together again. Well, except for now, during a pandemic.
I had great anticipation about both girls learning to read, knowing that it would lead to them wanting to read themselves to sleep rather than keeping with our bedtime story routine. As the girls get older, there's excitement about new skills and new relationships, ideas and opportunities, and some grief that we have moved from cooking lessons and cooking together to the girls just cooking on their own. Now we spend time debating political issues and social policy and candidates and which societal issues demand our first fruits. I anticipate with wonder how their ideas and perspectives will translate into service and leadership and career and community, but I grieve that we don't always see the world in the same way. We're not the same. These two beings who at one time depended on my body for their survival are completely their own people, with dreams and desires and a purpose that is not about me. Living through this season of quarantine magnifies the reality of the bittersweet. I'm guessing, hoping really, that you and I are more alike than we are different. And I'm hoping that you, like us, have had your share of bitter. Bitterness has come from within for us as we've all said things during this time that we wish we had not said, or we at least wish we had said them differently. We have all lashed out, accused, talked back, said words we don't usually say, and wished we could be anywhere else. The bitter has come from the outside, too, as we have grieved the slow losses of school, campus events, student council elections, track and volleyball seasons, and the deep disappointment of a summer once filled with life-giving camps and travel disappear one event at a time. Three of us have decided that middle school is the worst possible time for absolutely anything, and one of us has asked to be moved to a different family. Sean has set a quarantine goal of mastering the grilling of every possible kind of meat, and our youngest has just decided she's vegan. Sibling rivalry has never had a stronger presence in our home. During a recent makeover night with the girls, one of my daughters turned to me in all seriousness and said, Mom, I'm so sorry you have to wear makeup and aren't just a natural beauty like me. A few days ago, I mentioned pursuing the doctorate I've talked about getting the past several years, and one of the girls looked at me and said, Why didn't you just do that when you were younger? I mean, what were you doing with your time? Giving you life, I thought. Yeah, there's been some bitter here. But there's also been plenty of sweet. As our oldest has reached driving age and is halfway through high school, every breath seems to signify that we are a moment closer to her leaving our home. I've said so many times over the past year, I just wish time would slow down. And I certainly didn't want this pandemic, and I don't want to minimize it, but I'm grateful to be a mom of teens in this time. In between the tensions and the bitter We've had some great moments huddled together over things like BuzzFeed quizzes, finding our perfect vacation destinations, and figuring out which of Rory Gilmore's boyfriends is the right guy for us. We have binge-watched Netflix shows like The Crown, baked from scratch, made up recipes, played games, debated politics, discussed animal rights, begged for a puppy, and settled on a Peloton. We have searched for and found the cheesiest of all of Hallmark's offerings, and we've rewritten and acted out the dialogue 
as we watched, barely able to talk through our laughter. We walk our neighborhood just about every day, and the girls walk ahead, often holding hands or with their arms linked at the elbows. Sister love has never been stronger or more grounding. We've taken some time to ask some pretty big questions, and we've created space and held on to each other as we acknowledged we don't always have really big answers. We've prayed together, standing in a socially distanced circle at the insistence of our children. We started new traditions of a formal meal one night a week with no devices, no interruptions, everyone participating in all of the prep and all of the cleanup. We've identified what we want to go back to and what we want to change once we re-enter the time and space where more of our days are spent apart from each other than together. There has definitely been some sweet. And now we're looking toward, toward Mother's Day weekend. And I'm remembering that mothers have been mothering their children through global and local tragedy since the beginning of time. From the moment that Eve realized one of her sons had killed the other, every generation has been asked to do some really hard things. This is just ours. My God, my God, wherever I go, glory. Where I reap and where I sow, glory. When my hand, it grips the thong, glory. In the still and in the storm, glory. Oh, we labor on to glory. It shines and then goes down Glory Rain it pours and beats the ground Glory Dust it blows and ends my days Glory Hearts they burn beneath your gaze The kingdom bound glory Where thorns no longer curse the ground glory Trim the wick and light the flame glory My work it will not be in vain glory 
Until God's kingdom comes Until God's kingdom